open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Some of you are thinking we finally made it to the next chapter. Well, love lasts forever, but chapter 13 does not, so... It's wonderful to see that patio out there, isn't it? And it's a beautiful structure. I think some of us have been surprised, actually, about uh, how it's turned out. Actually, a lot better than even we were even imagining it. You know, you look on a piece of paper and then you see it in person. And I'm looking forward to gathering with the church before and after the services throughout this summer as we go out there and enjoy that. We are going to, the first Sunday of the month in the summer, we are going to have a lunch, and Lord willing, if the schedule still, still is on task, I guess, we will hopefully have that out here, and so that will be an enjoyable time. Definitely July 1st, or the first Sunday in July, we'll be out there. And, uh, and then also the second and fourth Sundays, we're going to switch our church in the park to church in the patio, Okay. And so we'll have our singing and testimonies and uh, a sermon out there. And so that, I'm just looking forward to using that. What a blessing that is going to be. I'm thankful that the Lord has provided that for fellowship. And to begin the sermon, I actually want to consider that patio and the construction of that patio and just think about how did it all start? You know, what was the first phase, I should say, of the patio? Well, it was architectural plans submitted to the city. And it took a little while for that to be approved, but we got that approved. The next phase was they built a foundation. And those are really two elements of a project like that that you know, can be overlooked. People don't really think about the architectural plans or the foundation because you just see the beautiful structure. But would you say those two elements are important? Are the architectural plans important? Yeah, they are, right? Because if if everyone's trying to work together and you don't all know what we're trying to do, you don't all have the same purpose, then same plan, you might actually build something that's not going to work. And if you don't have a good foundation, the whole thing could fall down and fail. Then the next phase, kind of what we're in right now, they put the, the framing up and the roof up. This week they're going to have some electrical and then they're going to repair some of the stucco and paint. I guess to put the roof on at some point. And then finally, Lord willing, we will have a patio to enjoy. Now, why do I go through all of that? And I think it's because in 1 Corinthians 14, what we find here is that something's being built, and it's the local church. And we're not talking about a physical structure like this building or that patio. We're talking about people. In fact, here's a definition you can write down if you want to about the local church. The local church is an assembly of Christians in a covenant of discipleship with one another organized under biblical leadership. And I think that's a good definition to maybe write down on a piece of paper. And even if you're so bold, you could write that in your Bible. Because that is what a, a local church is. It's an assembly of Christians. And they are in a covenant of discipleship with one another. And they're organized under the biblical leadership of elder pastors. The scripture does speak of this universal, invisible church that every believer, whether they're 
already died or whether they're alive, they are a part of. And there will be a day when that church will gather. But here in the scripture, we're going to see the local church, the, the visible local church. And the local church, the visible local church, are, or I should say the visible church, is made up of assemblies of local churches where these Christians are in covenant with each other and they're organized under biblical leadership. And that's what the Bible teaches. And that what's, that's what we're going to see today. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to see a local church. We're going to see a group of believers who are gathering together for the purpose of building each other up. About a week ago, I was at the Simi Fair, and we had a little booth there for our church, and we were talking to different people. And there was an individual I talked to, and he said he was a believer, and so we talked about that. And then I asked him, well, where do you go to church? And this individual said, well, I don't go to church right now. And to try to encourage him in his walk with the Lord, I asked this question. I said, how can you claim to be a Christian, but don't live in obedience to Christ? And it kind of took him back a little bit. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Christ has called us to be a part of a local church and to faithfully attend. You know, to be a Christian and not be a part of a local church is like being a fish out of water. Yesterday, my, yesterday some of my kids went to a, a store and got some fish. They won at the fair, the beta fish. And those fish are in water, right? Because fish survive in water. And a Christian, we survive. We thrive in the local church. And if we are removed from the local church, we will spiritually dry up. And so here we are as a church. We're in a covenant of discipleship. We don't just show up to sing some fun songs and to, you know, enjoy the preaching of God's word. We actually show up for construction purposes. We're here to be built up ourselves and to build other people up. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 teaches us. In fact, I want you to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and think about it in the context of God building his church. God is the architect. The church is his idea. Jesus, the son of God, is the one who purchased the church with his own blood on the cross. Jesus is the foundation of the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells each one of us. He indwells the church and empowers us to build his church. So let me just show you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 says, according to the grace of God, Given to me, that's Paul, like a master builder, I laid a foundation. And what was that foundation that Paul, the apostle, laid? It's the foundation of Jesus Christ. He wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, you, speaking of the church, are members of the household of God built on the foundation of what? of the apostles and prophets. And what was that foundation that the apostles and prophets and prophets laid down? It's Jesus Christ himself, and he is the cornerstone. And so the scripture teaches that Jesus is the foundation. And just think about, think about how important a foundation is out there. When they poured that foundation for that patio, they dug it out, they put rebar down, they 
They poured the footings and they poured the rest of the cement. They smoothed it out and they dried it out. And now that patio sits on top of that. And so that foundation was so important. What goes on top of the foundation of Christ? Well, it's the church. And who are the church or who is the church? Well, look around. It's those people sitting next to you, right? It's believers in Jesus Christ. So that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, in him, that's Christ, you, that's everyone in this room, that's a believer in Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say in Ephesians that this is how God did it. He gave, Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets. So see, you see that foundation of God's word laid by them. And then you have evangelists and the shepherd teachers. Those are the elders, the pastors who are teaching God's word. And God gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. And the grammar in the ESV is hard to understand here but to see, but it's actually saying that these four offices are given to equip the church so that you, the church, will do the building. See, pastors, evangelists, they are not the ones who build the church. We, as the church, build the church. They are the ones who equip the church to do what they're called to do. And you can see that because at the very end of that text, you see that in Ephesians, it says, when each part is working properly, it makes, I think it's actually Ephesians 4, 17. I think I got that verse wrong or 16. But each part is working properly. So when each person is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds what? Itself up in love. And that's a long introduction for the purpose of telling you this, and that is that God's work in the church is so that you would build other people up and do it because you love them. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 are about. In fact, the big idea of this chapter, chapter 14, is that you must pursue love by building up the local church. And the whole point of this chapter is going to be that each of us is to love the church so much that we build the church. And remember, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about getting a hammer and getting some nails. We're talking about looking at the people next to us and saying, what does that person need to be built up in Christ? So chapter 14 is like the 6 a.m. phone call from your boss that's saying, get to work. You ever had one of those? When I worked construction, we would have a truck, and we would go around, and we'd pick guys up from their homes. And so sometimes, you know, you see a guy coming out at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he literally just fell out of bed and, you know, basically stumbled outside the front door. He's got a T-shirt in one hand. <laughs> He's got a bagel in the other. I read a, uh, not read a story, but one of the guys had a story. I didn't see this, but a guy actually stumbled out and he forgot his pants. But I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, oh, what am I doing here today? The, the truck is filled up with the tools, the job site's ready, and you actually need to get to work. And what you see here in these chapters of chapters 12, 13, and 14 is that 
the Holy Spirit has already filled the truck up with grace, right? You already have the gifts of grace and you have the reason to do it. Chapter 13, it's because of love. And now chapter 14, so go out and build the church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about the spiritual gifts that God has given us, the supernatural tools to build the church. Chapter 13 is why we are to build the church. It's because we love people. And then chapter 14, the Holy Spirit directs us to pursue love by using our gifts to build up other people. And the primary time that we have to build up other people is when we gather as a church. The primary time for us to build each other, to edify one another, is when we gather. And so what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is Paul is going to give us guiding principles that enable the local church to build up one another in love. So we're going to look at, over the next few weeks, principles that enable us as a local church to build up one another in love. And the first principle is found in verse 1. It's the principle of passion. The principle of passion. You should have received a handout in your bulletin. You can follow the notes in there if you want to, or you can write this down. Verse 1, the principle, the principle of passion is that a local church must zealously use their gifts in love to build up each other. And the key word there is zealously. They're to zealously use spiritual gifts in love to build up each other. Look at verse number one of chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I want you to look at verse 1, and notice it's basically a summary of chapter 12, 13, and 14. So again, look at verse 1, pursue love. What chapter does that relate to? Chapter 13, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. What chapter does that relate to? Chapter what? Chapter, we're all doing this together here. Chapter 12. And then the last one, especially that you may prophesy, and that is chapter 14. We're going to really get into prophecy and tongues next week. But just as a, a general overview, prophecy is this. Prophecy is receiving and relaying special revelation from God. So in verse 1, you see that we are to desire prophecy, especially that you may prophesy. And so prophecy is, is really, think about, when you think about prophecy, think of God's word being proclaimed. It's more than preaching because you're receiving revelation, but you're also, as well, relaying revelation. And for the first century believers... They received new revelation through the apostles. They received new revelation through New Testament prophets who actually held the office of prophet. And they also received new revelation through people who had the gift of prophecy. And that was necessary at that time, especially for the Corinthian church, because they only had a few books of the New Testament written. 
And so God needed to give them new revelation. Now we, as what, how many centuries later, we have the completed canon. And once the Bible was completed, once the New Testament was completed, new revelation was no longer necessary. But there's an element of prophecy that still takes place because we are still relaying special revelation from God. We're relaying special revelation from God that has already been revealed. So when you go through the book of, for instance, Revelation, there's a lot of prophecy in there, and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and that was received by the Apostle John, and he has passed that on to us as it was inscripturated in that New Testament letter. And so we preach the revelation of John. We preach that, that prophecy. Again, I don't want to get lost in that word. So let me just have you think about prophecy as the word of God being proclaimed, received and relayed. And so Paul's encouragement to us in this passage, when we're going to see this the next couple of weeks, but his encouragement is for us to desire the word of God, to desire the ministry of prophecy. And his encouragement is to desire that and to use that to build up the church. And so this first principle relates to that, and that is a local church must zealously use spiritual gifts in love to build up one another. And what I want to do is I want to show you the thread of this, kind of running through chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. So go back to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to notice this thread of desiring spiritual gifts in love to build up other people. So 1 Corinthians 12, let's look at verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, each believer in the church, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So listen up, every one of us in here who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been graced by the Holy Spirit with gifts so we can serve like Christ served when he was on this earth. And and what's the purpose of that grace the Holy Spirit gives us? What does it say in verse number seven? It's for the common good. And if you remember when we taught on that, that word, the Greek word, is sympharo, which means to bring together. It's like a symphony. It's like a harmony of believers coming together in love and unity and grace and growth. So you can see the beginning of this idea we're going to see in chapter 14 is that is we as a church are to come together for one another. And then look at verse 25. Here you can see another Uh, element of this, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. So stop right there and think about this. Satan's work is to divide us. He doesn't want you to use your gift. He doesn't want you to love people. He doesn't want you to love one another. And so what he does is he brings in sin. He brings in disunity. He tries to divide us. That's his influence in this church. And when that happens, it hurts the church of Jesus Christ, right? I think about it this way. This morning, I, uh, at 4.30 in the morning, I was in my office studying. I know it's pretty early. 
and I was over there, and I heard a car pull in the parking lot. And it's all the, I, saw the, I heard the car, and then I saw the lights, and it went by my window and stuff, and I thought, oh, no, here it is. Someone's come to vandalize our patio here. <laughs> so, I mean, my instinct was I jumped out of my chair, I ran out the door, had my phone trying to figure out how I could turn the video on, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to catch this person out there. And, uh, and I said, the person got out of the car, and they were walking, and I said, hey, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm the Amazon guy. Okay, 4.30 in the morning, who does that, okay, okay. But, you know, if I've, I've been a part of a church where people have actually done that. They vandalize the property. When that happens, it hurts the church, doesn't it? It hurts the property, I should say. But when, when people sin in the church, when we sin in the church, it hurts the church, doesn't it? And, and so that's the warning here is that there can be division because of our sin, because of things that we do. But notice verse 25. What's the opposite of hurting the church? It's caring for the church. So verse 25, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So what are the reasons that we have the gifts? It's to care for one another. But the Corinthian church, they weren't doing that. They were using their gifts to show how amazing they were, right? It was like they were just on for a show. And so 1 Corinthians 13, he says... Don't use your gifts for a show. Don't boast. Use your gifts in love. And so then look at chapter 12. Look at verse number 31. Because he says, this is very important, verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Those are the gifts that include the gift of the word of God, of proclaiming God's word, of ministering God's word. Desire the higher gifts. And notice that word earnestly there. Earnestly desire. Does anyone remember a few weeks ago what we said that word means? It's actually a word that means zealous. It means to burn hot with passion. So he's saying here, zealously desire, burn hot with passion for these gifts they're going to minister to people. So this is our passion. This is our desire. And we're to do that with love. And so he says in verse 31, And I will show you a still more excellent way. And what's the more excellent way? It's love. And then I want you to go down to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Because the question is, how do we apply this? How do we apply love while using our gifts? Like, what does that look like in real life? In uh, chapter 14, it says, we apply that by building up the church. Look at verse 1. Pursue love. This is chapter 14. Pursue love. And notice those next two words. If you have the ESV, it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, do you want to guess what, is, uh, what, the, what that Greek word is shared with? It's the same word you find over in chapter 12, verse 31. It's the word zealous zealously desire. So what you see here in chapter 14, verse 1, is he's saying, once again, let me remind you that you're to have a a zealous desire to minister to people with your gifts. In fact, this word is a very interesting word. It's found in Acts chapter 17, verse 5. In Acts chapter 17, you have Paul going to Thessalonica, and they're giving the gospel there. 
but actually the unbelieving Jews come against them. And they decide to start a riot. The unbelieving Jews decided to start a riot. And so they instigated a mob to surround a house of a man named Jason. He was a Christian. They were so angry about what the Christians were doing. They took Jason. They dragged him out to the city officials. And Acts chapter 17 verse 5 says that these unbelieving Jews were zealous. They burned hot with passion to stop the gospel. That was their desire. As I was studying this, I thought about that, and I thought about the reality that I think this is the path that our country is going down. Is it not? Our, our country is burning hot with passion. You see that, right? I mean, we can watch TV. There are riots that happen sometimes. Sometimes it's protests. Sometimes it's T-shirts in the store that people burn hot with passion for their immoral agendas, right? And we see that everywhere we go. We're going to see it the month of June, like every corner that we turn around. This is the world we live in. They have this passion for, for the things of this world, for their own sinful, selfish lusts. But what's interesting here in this text, the Bible says that we are to have passion as well. We're to have zeal, a hot passion for something. What is that? Well, let me give you a clue. It's not politics, right? It's actually the church. He says here, we're to have this zeal for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what does love compel us to do? If we desire those gifts, what does love compel us to do with those gifts? What's the purpose of those gifts? It's to build up one another. If I had a hammer up here, what's the purpose of a hammer? Yes, it's to nail nails, right? But actually, it's to build something. If I have a saw, what's the purpose of a saw? It's not just to cut things, although that's pretty fun but it's actually to build something. And what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit giving us gifts? In church, it's so that we could look around and we will build up one another. In fact, what I want to do is I want to go through this text. I want to read verses 1 through 12. And I want to demonstrate this to you, that Paul wants us to zealously use our gifts to build up other people. Let me just give you a quick overview of what this text is talking about. Because Paul's logic here in chapter 14 is that prophecy builds up the church, but actually tongues does not build up the church. So prophecy builds up the church because it edifies tongues. And that is, tongues is the idea of a God's or the Holy Spirit's supernatural gift to enable you to speak a foreign language that you, as a speaker, do not know. So tongues is a supernatural ability for you to be able to speak a language, a foreign language, you do not know. And we'll talk about next week why that was an important gift. But God says here that actually tongues don't edify the church. And the only way they possibly could is if someone got up and translated it. Yesterday, I was talking to a lady, and she was Russian, or I should say she spoke Russian, and she didn't speak any English. And so we had a very unfruitful conversation. It was me 
making motions and her making motions and us both smiling and basically walking away because I didn't understand Russian and she didn't understand English. And, and that's what it would be like. That's, that's why tongues is unprofitable in a meeting like this because you don't understand that tongue if you don't know that tongue. So what his logic here is this, is that tongues, if it's not interpreted, is not helpful for the local church gathering, but prophecy is because it declares God's word. So notice as I read through this text, notice how God is pointing the finger at edification. He's saying, listen, this is why you gather as a church. So look at verse number one. I'm going to read through verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, notice this, for their upbuilding, that's edification, and encouragement, and consolation. That's what the word of God does for us. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Again, he's communicating God's word, so he builds up the church. Verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? How will I build you up? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And notice all of those relate to God's word. Verse 7. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. In other words, no one's going to understand you if you're speaking another language and they don't know that language. Verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, and notice this last verse, if you're not paying attention, everyone look at verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestation of the, manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in doing what? In building up the church. And notice that word strive. That's the word for zeal. So it relates to the word found in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. And here he's telling us to strive, to be zealous to do what? Verse 12, to excel in building up the church. And then notice one last verse, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, so this is the church gathering, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So you see tongue and interpretation go together there. Let all things be done for building up. In other words, everything that happens in a church gathering must be to build up other believers. 
Now, you might have gotten lost at some point, and if you did, I'm so sorry, but let me just have you hone in on this one point, and that is the principle of passion. A local church must be zealous about their spiritual gifts to build one another up. On Sundays, there are a lot of things people are passionate about, especially in regard to sports. You see men and women on TV, and they passionately, they zealously carry out whatever sport they have, whatever gift, athletic gift they have, and they do it for money or for fame or just to entertain people. I was thinking about today, there's the San Diego Padres playing the Dodgers. And I know most of you are probably going to be cheering for the Padres, right? Right? No, probably not. And you know what's interesting is, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but you have a passion for, if you like the Dodgers, you have a passion for the Dodgers, right? We have zeal for certain things, don't we? What is it that lights our fire that really should cause us to be passionate about something? Well, the scripture here is saying you should have a zeal for the church. You should have a zeal for building up other people. So let me just ask you some questions. Are you passionate about using your gifts to bless this church? Do you really love these people? And when you woke up this morning and you thought, I'm going to church, and you thought, I love those people and I am passionate about blessing them. And some of that relates to your covenant of discipleship that you say, I want to be held accountable and I want to help these people grow in Christ. And I think probably the most important question for us to ask is, how does the Holy Spirit think you're doing with it? Right? He is our one who convicts. There's a lot of things that we're zealous about. Children in here, many of you are zealous about the things that you have in your, in your room your toys, your gadgets, and when a sibling comes in and they break that or they take that, I mean, it's like you get lit up, right? Would you say that you get passionate about loving your sibling? Because that's actually what the the scripture is telling us here. It's like we should have that passion you have for that thing, you should have that for loving that person that's a believer in Christ in your home. Parents, we are very zealous about keeping peace in our house, right? It's so stressful sometimes to have children. And so we can be very passionate about, please be quiet, (laughs) right? Are we that passionate about discipling our children? Adults, we are very passionate about politics, aren't we? I could say Joe Biden or... Donald Trump, and I'll tell you, that lits up some people. Some people, they get passionate about that. Like when we say lighthouse, when we say the people that you are in covenant with, do you have that same passion, that same zeal? When we talk about the church, and maybe, maybe we don't have that, and maybe what we need to do is maybe we need to pray, pray through the directory and ask God, God, give me a love for these people. Maybe we need to consider what's, what's standing between us and our love for God's church. It could be a sin. It could be 
just a critical spirit or apathy. When uh, we had our home group on Friday night, you know, it's probably like four or five o'clock, and this happens to me. I confess this, okay? This happens to me almost every time we have home group. I start thinking, it's been a really long day. Do I really want to go to this? Well, you kind of have to. You're the pastor. (laughs) And then I go there, and I see those people, and it's awesome. It's just so much fun to be able to talk about God's word, to pray together, to hear their needs. And, and I think probably home groups are one of the best contexts for this. And if you're in a home group, you probably experience the exact same thing, right? You're so tired after a long day, but then you go there and it's so enjoyable. I mean, it's like there's a fire lit in your soul for those people. So that's the first principle, the principle of passion. The second principle, the last one we'll look at this morning, is the principle of purpose. A local church must gather for the purpose of building up one another. That's the reason that we are here. And I want to read through some of these passages of Scripture again. And I want you to think about two things. Number one, think about, is this speaking of the local church or is this speaking of all churches? So think about that. Who is he talking to here? And then second, I want you to observe the purpose of the local church gathering. So he's, he's talking to a church, and he's going to talk about the purpose. So think about that. Who's he talking to, and what does he say their purpose is? So look at verse 4. Notice 1 Corinthians 14, 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, and I know that might confuse you right now. We'll look at that next week. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Is the church plural there or singular? It's singular. So this is speaking of a local church. You might wonder about that. I'll show you at the very end why that's the case. And and what does he want this church to do? To build up each other. How about verse 5? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He's not greater in his personhood. Just He's doing a greater ministry by ministering the word. Unless someone interprets, notice this, so that the church, notice singular, may do what? May be what? Be built up. Okay, how about verse 12? Again, the very end of verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. Notice it's singular. It's saying there's a church that you're a part of, that you're to build up. For them, it was the Corinthian church. How about verse number uh, verse 19? Verse 19. Nevertheless, in church, just want you to notice that again. Verse 23 Now notice this is one of the most important ones. If therefore the whole church, is this talking about all churches all over the universe, all over the world? Is this this like the church in, you know, Washington, D.C. and over in Baghdad or whatever? Is this, no, it's talking about one local church, the whole church doing what? What are they doing here? Comes together. So they're gathering together together, verse 23, and then verse 26, what does it say that they're doing when they gather together? Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, when you gather as this church, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Notice this, what is this church to do when they gather? Let all things be done for what? For building up, for edification, And then notice verse number 33, because you might be saying, well, maybe he's just talking about the church, like universal. Verse 33, 
For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the, what? Churches. Is that plural or is that singular? As in all the churches of the saints. That is plural. And the point is this. He's saying, for this local church, I have instructions for you. And these are the same instructions for all the churches around the globe. And what are these instructions? That is, when you come together, it's for the purpose of edification. There's a lot of reasons why people come to a church. In fact, churches have a lot of reasons why they exist. What does the scripture say is the reason that we are to gather as a church? To build each other up. And here's the distinction. Because there are churches that have as their main purpose of this time to evangelize. If you go to an old traditional church, some of those sometimes have the model of the Billy Graham crusade. You know what that model is? And you have that everything is geared towards evangelism. And even the sermon is an evangelistic sermon. And then afterwards they sing just as I am, you know, 25 times. Hopefully someone will come to Christ. And again, Billy Graham used that and God used him in a great way. But evangelism is not the purpose of the Sunday morning service. It's also seen sometimes in contemporary churches where it's an, a, a contemporary, attractional, seeker-sensitive model where the church is like Disneyland, you know, and you offer all these things and you're hoping to get people in the community in there. And each Sunday you're giving the gospel. And I read about a church that even, uh, like Disney, you know how Disney, they pump in smells in different, different places so that you can get a feeling in certain places. This church pumps smells into certain places so that you get a certain feeling in those places. And and the point is, the goal is this. Let's bring as many unbelievers in here as possible so we can give them the gospel each Sunday. Their their youth groups usually are that way too. You have 100 or 200 kids in this youth group. And the reality is, most of those kids are unbelievers in many of those kind of groups. But their purpose is to give them the gospel. But I want you to think about this text of scripture right here and many others, but this one What does he say is the purpose of gathering? Because it's so fundamental to everything we're doing on a Sunday morning. It's to build one another up. And I do think there's a context for evangelism. First of all, that's the entire week we should be doing that, right? And I think there's times where we can do that as a church. Last November, we had a gospel Sunday, and God gave us fruit from that. We've had Jeremy Frazier come and, and do evangelistic sermons. And his family's right down here, by the way. And, and he's an evangelist. So he goes to churches like this and they have a focus on the gospel. We have had three and three tournaments where we reach teens for Christ. This summer, we have a kid's spectacular. It's not to have a babysitting service in Simi Valley, okay? That drives me nuts, by the way. I mean, all his parents are like, I'm going to go to this Sunday, you know, this VBS and this VBS and this VBS. Okay. We are doing it to have kids come to Christ. If they want to go to all the VBSs in town, that's fine. But if they're coming here, we're going to evangelize them, okay? Because that's our purpose. And so that's not a bad thing. It's good. We should have those. But the purpose of our gathering here is most importantly to build one another up. And I want to say, I do give the gospel. I try to every time I preach because it's the good news that we still need to hear every day. So, right? And there could be someone in here that doesn't know the good news. And if that's you right now, let me tell you what the good news is. It's first bad news that because of your sin, you are separated from God 
forever. And you deserve that, and I deserve that, because we're all sinners. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the full payment for our sin. He rose, and he's in heaven now, and he can save you from your sin and from that penalty, and he can give you a relationship with the Father, and that's by faith, when you trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. He has a gift for you. You can't earn the gift. You can only receive it by faith. It's a gift of eternal life. But, my, but coming back to our point here, and that is the reason we gather as a church is so we will build each other up. And so I want you to think about every element of our service. Do you realize that Jorge and myself and other individuals are praying over the service and we're intentionally doing a prayer of praise and a prayer of petition and a, and a reading scripture because we believe that's what's going to help build us up as a church. I had a person that asked me once, probably a couple of times, but I've been asked before, does Lighthouse disciple people? And sometimes I forget that people don't think about it that way. So I responded back to this person, that's the whole point of our Sunday morning gathering. Do you realize that? That this is the primary time of discipleship for our church? The reason that you should get up in the morning, dig out those crusties in your eye, take a shower, if you need a shower, and come here to church is so that you can build up other people. And church, that's why that's why for each one of us, it should be sad when we have to miss a Sunday. It should be sad for us to miss a Sunday because we're not able to do what God's called us to do, and that is to build people up. And you say, well, I, I can just watch it online. You know, I can sing online. I can watch it online. But let me tell you this. If church is just about singing and preaching, then go ahead and just stay home and watch it online. If church is about building people up, you can't do that online. You have to be in person, right? And so therefore, when we miss in person, we should go, oh, I can't be there. And it's not because, oh, Pastor Ben's such a great preacher, because I know that's not true, okay? Or because, oh, I just really want to sing. It's because I want to build up these people, and I need to be built up myself. And you might think, well, Pastor Ben, but you're, Jorge's up there singing, and you're up there leading, and I mean, how are we building each other up? It seems like you guys are all the, the ones talking all the time. It's probably true. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. But actually, the scripture tells us that, you know that you actually build each other up through singing? Ephesians chapter 5 says that if you're to be filled with the Spirit, or if you are filled with the Spirit, which is all believers, that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, one of the reasons we don't dim the lights and sway back and forth with just me and Jesus is because when you sing, it's not just you and Jesus. You're actually singing to one another with one another. It's actually what you're doing is you are discipling each other. When you sit there and you sing, you're praising Jesus and you're also joining with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're building each other up in that way. Or how about this one? The, the word of Christ right now is dwelling in you. And what are you to do with that? Well, you're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And so it's not just we take God's word and go, oh, it's like after this, the reason we're having a patio is so you can go out there, and if you want to spend four or five hours talking about Jesus and what God's teaching you, then do that, right? You can spend the rest of the day if you want to. I might not join you, but I'm, I definitely bless that. 
Or how about this? We proclaim Jesus. Him we proclaim. Warning and everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we, and I love how he does that. That we, not just Paul the apostle. But that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I actually think that this is a responsibility of ours. The question is, when you stand before Christ, what did you do to help other people be mature in Christ? And if your answer was, well, I gave a little in the offering, I showed up once in a while. Is that actually fulfilling what God is calling us to do? We, we are responsible to build up one another. Paul wrote his letters, one of them was 1 Thessalonians, and he said, take this, take this, and go home and just read it by yourself and don't talk to anyone. Is that what he said? No. Therefore, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then last, we're not to have corrupt communication coming out of our mouth, are we? That's so easy, isn't it? But what should come out of our mouth? Only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I think really one of the most important ways for us to build one another up is to minister grace to one another through our words. And so church, why are we here? The principle of passion says that we must be zealous about using our gifts to build up other people. The principle of purpose says the reason we gather as a church is to edify, to build one another up. And so will you this morning as a church, will you, when we go to prayer, will you renew your commitment to loving these people? I think it's something we've got to do regularly, Right? But let's do that this morning. Let's renew our commitment to loving people by building other people up. And ask God, God, give me a love for your church. And if you are in here and you don't know Jesus Christ, then you can be a part of the family of God. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, his son. Right? The Bible says, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus. Trust in the Lord Jesus today. Let's pray.